Hello everyone and welcome to Random Ideas About God, episode number three. This one is titled, God as the Non-Idol. So Random Ideas About God is this place for those of us who enjoy helpful, philosophical, and theological conversations, but without needing a seminary degree to understand them. And the goal of each of these episodes is to basically take an idea that someone has said about God at some point in history and to think about what that might mean for us. It may be this new profound idea that's extremely helpful or deep, or it may be something we've heard before, or maybe it's an idea that impacts um, our lives because we believe it's so valuable, or maybe it's just something that's fun to talk about for a little while, and then we're done talking about it. To start this conversation, we're going to talk about the idea of desire. So as humans, we desire. It's a part of who we are, right? We desire a lot of things, things that we need like food, sleep, or water, and relationships, community. But we also desire things that we don't necessarily need for survival. Maybe we desire clothing, or certain electronics, or a better home, or a boat, or a better car, or more money, or to live in a certain place. Maybe we desire certain versions of things that we need for survival, but we desire it because of the experience we're going to get from it. For example, have you ever had this where you crave a certain type of food? So you don't just want the food because it will nourish your body and it's something you need for survival, but you want the food because of the experience of it. Experience is just one example, but sometimes we crave or desire more abstract things. Things like fulfillment, success, love. Maybe we desire internal things such as safety, confidence, peace, satisfaction. Desire takes many forms, right? But the bottom line is this, as humans, we have desires. And these desires aren't inherently bad. Like, desire literally keeps us alive. If our brain and body didn't work together to create thirst within us, we would never have a desire for water, which we need to stay alive. Desire pushes us to make the world a better place. Desire leads us to create beautiful things. Desire leads us to do things out of love for other people. But the question that I'm wondering for this conversation is this. Is there something deeper that connects all of those desires together? Or are those desires unrelated? Is there an ultimate desire? Let's just think about something that is one of my guilty pleasures, something that I, uh, desire sometimes that I don't actually need. I spend a lot of time in my life window shopping on the internet. I look at clothing and shoes that I don't need at all, but that I wish I had. And the question might be, is that desire simply a desire for the things themselves or is it connected to something else? And if we look at multiple disciplines in, in the realm of study, multiple disciplines will tell us that Usually our desire isn't just for the thing itself, but it's connected to something else. For example, biology might tell us that our ultimate desire is survival, so that we can pass on our genetic material to the next generation. And then we kind of go into psychology, which tells us that yes, survival is a part of it, but there's layers to it. There's also self-actualization and all these other things, belonging, community. And then we can get into the realm of psychology or philosophy and, and theology that gives us an explanation that's a little bit more abstract, where they talk about 
our ultimate desire. It's something that doesn't just involve the physical experiences that we have, but something that's metaphysical, something that transcends these physical experiences. And all of those seem to connect together in, this, in the same way, that they get to the same place if you were to take them down to their end. And I'll go back to the example of my desire for clothing and shoes. I might desire a certain piece of clothing, maybe because it's going to bring me certain experiences or because someone's going to notice it and it's going to lead to a conversation. It's going to be a conversation piece. Maybe it's a form of self-expression that makes me feel unique. That's the self-actualization piece there. Or maybe we enjoy something because it has meaning to us somehow. For example, uh, we don't usually just wear a jersey uh, because it covers our bodies, but usually we're trying to project that we're on board or we're a part of something else that isn't just us. The, the clothing item doesn't just represent us or even the clothing item itself. It represents something bigger. What all those things have in common is that our desire leads us to something beyond ourselves and our current experiences. It's more about things that we hope for. This idea of what the world would be like or what our lives would be like if only. Which is sort of how desire works, right? We desire things that we do not have because of an idea of how things could be if only. So my first year of seminary, I took a class on the book of Ecclesiastes, um, and it completely changed my life. I was struggling with a lot of things and just kind of thinking about so many different things. And as I was exploring this book in the class, I felt like it was putting words to things that I had felt for so long. It was like reading the words of someone else who knew my internal dialogue and struggle, the anguish that I had. And I want to read some of the words from the book, which is written by an unnamed person, which they call the teacher or Kohelet. Um, and he kind of shares his journey of trying to find fulfillment. Here's a few of the things that he talks about. So in one part, he says, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Here's some other things that he strove for. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is under the heavens. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself. I became far greater than anyone in Jerusalem before me. So this is a man that tried all of his life to find some sort of fulfillment, to fulfill his deepest desire, his deepest longing, and he could not find it. He tried it in everything. He tried to reach something that would cement his legacy so he would never be forgotten. He tried to become so wise that it would be considered that would it would never be considered folly. The wisdom would just transcend time. And this was his conclusion after all of this striving. 
which he actually puts at the beginning of the book, which is really interesting. And I think it's fascinating because it starts with this phrase and, and you know, it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the book, but it's still a great book, even when it starts like this. He says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Here is this old man at the end of his life and he's he did all these things and achieved all these things and he said it was meaningless. Because what was he trying to do? He was trying to reach something that would not change. What he was trying to do was reach something that was eternal. Something that would ultimately satisfy and never be taken away. That's what he was trying to reach. So now to our random idea. Uh, as I was thinking about these ideas, I picked up this book off of my bookshelf that I hadn't read yet, and it kind of stirred up in me more of these ideas and kind of led to this episode. Uh, it's called Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing by Soren Kierkegaard. And in, in this book, he's actually kind of working with the ideas from the book of Ecclesiastes, and he writes this. This, this is so interesting. Only the eternal is always appropriate always present, is always true. Only the eternal applies to each human being, whatever his age may be. And this is kind of my favorite line. The changeable exists, and when its time has passed, it is changed. The changeable exists, and when its time has passed, it is changed. So what he's talking about with the eternal is that there is this thing that is unchanging, that is the only thing that is appropriate and true and connects every single human, applies to every single human being at every single point in history. It's this thing that it's eternal. It's this thing that transcends us. It's this thing that is bigger than our physical moments, our present moments, and everything else changes. Everything else is gonna change. Everything else, as Ecclesiastes talks about, is a vapor that we can see, but eventually disappears. He's making this point that the things that you think are steady and true are actually something that will no longer serve you at some point. And he actually has this line that I want to read that I, that I really love uh, that doesn't pertain to these ideas as much, but he says it right afterwards, and I think uh, it's so fascinating. He says, That which may be wisdom when spoken by an old man about past events may be folly in the mouth of a youth or of a grown man when spoken of in the present. He's basically saying something, some idea might have been wisdom in the past, but in the future, it might be folly. It might be foolish. It might not be wisdom anymore. And I just think it's so interesting because what he's talking about is that there's these things that we believe will make us whole and will make us complete and are the answer to the thing that we've always wanted. But then at some point in the future, we might realize that, okay, that doesn't really serve us anymore. And in the religious traditions... We call that an idol. These things 
something like wisdom that we once had, that we hold on to and don't want to let go, can become like an idol. It's something that we believe will make us whole and complete, but just like the teacher learns in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to come to the realization that the idol will not make us whole and complete. Just think about this. This is so crazy. Anything that we achieve, everything that we could ever get that we desire, the biggest accomplishments or all the material things that we could want, at the end of the day, at some point in history, no matter what we do, our life is going to have made some impact and that impact will be lasting. But at some point, our name's going to be forgotten. The things we've amassed will be split apart. Maybe they won't exist anymore in thousands and thousands of years. They're going to be destroyed. Things are going to be rebuilt. The family that we've created, the generations and generations and generations will pass. And then our name will eventually be forgotten. Who remembers your ancestor from 6000 BC? No one. Because those names have been forgotten. History at some point will get to the point where everything that we did and everything that we built and everything that we've achieved might pass away. As it says in the book of Ecclesiastes again, it's like a vapor. And Kierkegaard uses the word change to describe it, that everything is changing. And then he says it perfectly at the end of the paragraph that we just read to kind of cap this off. He says, old age is the final change. So we have all this change. We come to the end of our lives. And the final change is old age. Then we pass away, we go into eternity, and now there is no more change. But everything that we built in our lives from the time we breathed our first and we breathe our last is subject to change. And that brings loss. Because with change comes loss. Like for us young people who have new ideas about what the world could be like, we have to realize that one of the reasons it's so hard for people that have had wisdom that are a little bit older than us or older than us, one of the reasons it's so hard for, let, for them to let go of that wisdom is because it requires accepting the loss. And for those of us who are having trouble changing, we have these ideas that we don't want to let go. It's okay to experience the loss so that something new can be reborn. See, here's the thing. Because change is a constant, and all the things that we might strive after and desire are subject to change, then the only thing that we truly have is something that transcends it all. It's the eternal. And the teacher says it this way. I love, I love his words. I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. Because just think about it. It is a burden. We live all of our lives hoping to make some sort of lasting impact, hoping to make some difference in the world, hoping to do something with purpose and meaning. He, is, he says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity on the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. 
I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of their toil. toil. This is the gift of God. Everything is beautiful in its time. God has set eternity in our hearts, yet no one can fathom what will happen, how things will pan out, if our accomplishments, the things that we achieve, will exist into infinity, infinity, or if our legacy will leave a lasting impact, if it will be eternal. We cannot know those things. Which is why God is the non-idol. Because infinity is so impossible to fathom and understand. We cannot determine the future. We cannot control everything that happens. So anytime we try to fully understand it or do something that will never change, we're going to fail. And what's so interesting is we even get messages from churches and we get messages from other places as well that they have the answer for our fulfillment, the thing that we need. Churches will fall into the trap by telling us that they have the answer to the eternal questions. They're promoting their way of practicing or their way of worshiping or their traditions and their language as the way to find that eternal thing. Companies sell us products as that product being the eternal thing. And Kierkegaard and the teacher are making the point that because change is constant, All of those things that are the thing for people will change eventually. The only thing that does not change is the eternal or God. And because we cannot hold onto anything else because it's subject to change, all of those things are idols. And we're left with only one thing, the eternal. So what does the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes say to rest in the trust that goodness will prevail. He says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. To be present to the moments we do have available. He says, enjoy what we can. The only thing that there's left is for people to be happy And then he says, do the best we can to create good in the world, but to let the results happen as they will, to do good while we live. When we strive for an idol, we're acting as if we lack. See, desire tells us that there's something in life that we need to get, but what if life is already a gift in and of itself? Think about this. We come into this world with nothing and we get the gift of all of these experiences. We get the gift of relationships. We get the gift of art and beauty and laughter and all of it is a plus because we get the chance to experience it. So in reality, we don't lack. In reality, we don't need the idol. Let go of the idol and simply live the best life you can give. If God has made everything beautiful, then trust that it is. If we see places where there's not goodness, then we fight for it to be good as much as we can. But never forget to enjoy the fruits of your labor because we only get one shot at this thing called life. That's the message for today. God is the non-idol. God is the one that tells us we don't need the idols 
to experience fulfillment. Because God is the eternal thing that is unchanging. Thank you for joining me in another episode of Random Ideas About God. Peace and love. Have a great day, everybody.